Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe because there's nothing really else to do. Coming up on the podcast, more COVID-19 and how it has affected every angle and layer of life. Uh, for pretty much everybody across the country, whether it's business, whether it's school, uh, whether it's health. We've got it all covered coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Fascinating how all of these Canadian industries have come together and offered to help. It's going to be fascinating to see how this changes life moving forward after uh, COVID-19, post-COVID-19. I know you probably can't even think of that at this point in time, but uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how many of these processes that we or, or procedures that we have put in place now become the norm. I mean, think about it. Uh, and we've always said that technology continually outpaces society, even laws. Technology develops faster than we can all keep up. And what we're seeing is society uh, really making a huge leap and catching up with technology as it simply becomes a reality. And and the, the obvious evidence of that is as all working from home and the kids just about to embark on e-learning if some haven't already involved uh, themselves in it already. So fascinating times that uh, that we are living in. That being said, uh, also uh, very concerning and a lot of anxious people out there as it looks like we're going to head into month number two with all of this. Uh, to talk more and where we are now and the peak and all of those questions that, that everybody wants answered and really th- there aren't any answers to at this point. Let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, faculty member in the Human and Social Sciences, Health Policy Advisor at Wilfrid Laurier University, and he is with us now. Ahmad, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated again. Of course, happy to speak to you again. How are you feeling? How are you coping? How do you think society is as we get to this stage of where we are now? I'm not going to lie to you. Last night, I actually had a really difficult time going to sleep because I've been reviewing all the evidence around COVID-19, especially the disturbing news coming out of our neighboring country, the United States. Um, I am still positive. I think that we are in Canada to put forward measures much earlier than our neighboring uh, country. Uh, We have put forward strategic plans that really are trying to get us ahead of this pandemic. But the reality is our cases numbers are still increasing. As of today, we have 7,448 cases in Canada. Uh, But what's more alarming is the number of deaths. So I think that's going to be really key. Right now, we have a total of 89 deaths. Uh, with more tests in the middle uh, of uh, getting results back that might change that number dramatically. We're seeing also outbreaks in high-risk settings, and that's alarming. You know, like We're seeing more number of cases in long-term care facilities, correctional facilities, and really the vulnerable population is our biggest concern now. So uh, the, our homeless population, our social systems are being tested. All that to say that uh, we are social distancing, physical distancing must still stay, stay in place. And when I'm asked about the projection of this, I think that we're looking now at weeks, if not months, before we see any difference. Uh, it, it is starting to sink in that, uh, uh, in fact, this is going to be at least another month before we sort of see any sort of planing out. Is that accurate, do you think? I mean, as we head into the end of one month and the beginning of another? I've spent days reviewing every type of algorithm and modeling system that's been out there. We have phenomenal researchers in Canada and abroad who spend all their time trying to look at modeling of numbers. And by that means, 
uh, what they mean by that is that they took take numbers from our cases and tried to figure out how many wheel more weeks are we going to see of this. And honestly, uh, Scott, if you look at all the modeling, what they all saying is we just don't know. This is a game changer. COVID-19 is a new virus. We don't understand fully how it transmits and how fast it can go from one person to another. That's going to take time. Uh, I think that, yes, we are definitely most likely looking at uh, weeks, if not months of this. Uh, now, the, really, the thing is, is that how that will play out will change. So just to be clear with the public listening to us, is that, you know, uh, now we are going on full closure of things. We're really pushing, amping up physical distancing. Will that change in the next coming weeks where we see a little bit more of a easing up on how much we are allowed to interact with others? Possibly if the numbers decrease, most likely not. I think that we're still going to see an increase in the number of cases. Uh, we have testing activities ramping up across the country. And, but what, what we mean by that is that the more people that are getting tested, the more positive cases we're going to see. And by that, I mean the numbers will continue to increase over time. Uh, it's been about a week or so since we saw uh, the government enact the 14-day quarantine. When will we see any results of that, or I guess 14 days after that? Sure. So the 14 days, the whole point behind it is that within almost everybody that tested positive in the world for coronavirus 19 they started developing symptoms within four to five days. So if the 14, once the 14 days are over and we've, we've tested anybody that exhibited symptoms and came back positive, then we know that those measures have really put in place, uh, were put in place for a reason. So we know that they're effective. So we have to give the 14 period time period, but we also know that there's still travelers coming back to Canada, right? Like, we're not done with seeing people returning to Canada. So that 14-day that quarantine will stay in place till we see a much lower numbers. But on that note, Scott, I think it's very important to say that as of now, 62% of all COVID-19 cases in Canada are not related to travel and in fact are now related to community transmission. And by that, I mean that there, there has, has nothing to do with people coming in out of Canada. Uh, also, interesting numbers in regard to uh, across the country. Eleven uh, percent of those that test positive are hospitalized. Obviously, the intention here is to keep that number as low as possible. Absolutely, and that that number, and you'll see more and more scientists and experts asking for more up-to-date information about the number of hospitalization and the reason behind it. And I think. This is such a key, key point to make is that the reason why we want to know how many people are actually getting hospitalized, because it will tell us the severity of this virus, right? It will tell us how many people are actually needing ventilators and needing the medical supplies. That our prime minister this morning said that we urgently need and we're trying to recruit and get more up for this country. Uh, at this point, and again, these are the latest numbers we have, uh, approximately 100 in ICU, 61 uh, on ventilators. I believe these are Ontario numbers. Uh, how concerned are you about those numbers and the supplies that we hear are, uh, are, are slim at this point? I am concerned. I think that it would be very naive to say we're not concerned about medical supplies. I think today's Prime Minister's talk was very telling to me. It indicated that the country, the leadership is trying to get ahead of this and trying to procure more medical supplies for our healthcare providers. We are hearing reports from frontline staff saying that uh, they're running out of masks and there's an issue with ventilators. So, yes, there is obviously that concern. But I think that goes back to the point earlier about flattening the curve that, you know, we will never stop saying those words. And 
And I think it's important to keep reiterating that message. The part of the reason, actually the main reason behind flattening that curve is precisely what you're talking about here, is that we're trying to like limit and control the number of resources we have. Uh, we don't have a finite number of ventilators and face masks. That's just unrealistic to even expect that our system will have unlimited supply of those things. They are reserved for the exceptional cases. So we need to reduce the number of exceptional cases that require hospitalization and that require taking advantage of our limited resources. And that's why physical distancing will always remain number one way forward towards dealing with this pandemic. Uh, the Ontario government announcing, and, and there'll be more on this, I guess, this afternoon during the 1 p.m. press conference uh, with the Premier and Education Minister, but uh, it, it certainly looks like, and they have announced, that uh, the schools will be closed through April into May, extending uh, the closure. I guess that's just obvious at this point. Uh, there's, there's no really option here, is there? No, there isn't really an option. And I, honestly, I, I would have projected this long time ago. I, I was suspecting that this is the direction we're going to. Obviously, we're doing more incremental policy changes just as it's a test and trial to see if things change. And also, I think it's to give people the grace period. And by people, I mean here the poor parents sitting at home trying to figure out now how to homeschool their children. I mean, the amount of parents that come reach out to me and say, I was not ready for this. I was not prepared. I'm not trained for this. I don't know how to even navigate the technology around teaching my, my, my kids. Uh, and so, yes, I think that we're going to look at closures of school for quite some time now. Uh, we have a question from one of our listeners uh, concerned about those in hospitals, healthcare workers, funeral home employees. Uh, do you know if the virus lives on for any dangerous amount of time in the bodies of the deceased? That's an interesting question. Oh, that's a very good question. I don't think there's any evidence on that. At least we haven't looked into it yet. Uh, that will be very interesting to find out. So uh, that will take some time, obviously. You know, as the death rate, unfortunately, increases, we will have more cases to study. Uh, right now, I think the focus is more on how to make sure that we don't get to a point where we're looking at the increasing number of deaths. But that's an excellent question that time will tell. Uh, we always are getting asked, too, about surfaces and, mm. you know, how long, you know, there was a, a notice out uh, from the Postal Service saying, hey, if you can you just give your mailbox a wipe down, that would be great to help healthcare workers. Any idea how long this does last on surfaces? We do understand it transmits primarily through the air, uh, droplets through the air and such, but I think people are still concerned about surfaces. Anything you can enlighten us on there? Sure, yeah, for sure. So I've reviewed the evidence on this, and that's an excellent question, and people are rightly to be concerned. You know, we're moving, we're asking people to get more things delivered to their house, and with that comes a concern about the surfaces. The evidence tells us, according to an experimental study, where they looked at hospitals, so they looked at more uh, uh, steel structures, if you don't use Lysol or Clorox or any of those disinfectants, the virus will last on surfaces from six to nine days, in this experimental study. So if you don't use anything to clean the virus off the surface, uh, and again, this was mostly on steel surfaces, there's been some studies on cardboard that showed lesser periods of time, but if you don't use anything, it's six to nine days. If you use a disinfectant, it showed that within one minute of using a disinfectant, the virus was killed. So the message here to make it very more simple for people, uh, my advice is the following. If you're getting packaging, from Amazon or grocery stores that come in, in, bo in cardboard boxes. Uh, I would uh, wash your hands before you pick up the box. When you get the box, remove everything out of the box, give it a wipe down, and uh, remove the boxing out of your house. Then wash your hands again. So 
the idea here is that, yes, exercise extra levels of caution with those packaging uh, and try not to keep them in your house. So move them to your garage. If you have a, access to a garbage chute, do that. The point is that don't, leave them, don't let them be in your house. Uh, last question, doctor. Sure. Uh, we've heard that per capita, uh, Ontario has tested less than other provinces. Any idea why that is? Is there a shortage of testing in Ontario? Uh, your thoughts on that? There could be two reasons for that. Uh, we don't know confirmed what, what, why that, that is. But the two reasons that could be for that is, one, we're, we're better, we're getting good at self-assessment. And by that, I mean we have more people using our online tool to self-assess their symptoms. We're being able to manage people better through telehealth and differentiate people who we suspect are more likely needing the test as opposed to not needing the test. You know, I think that I saw the statistics this morning from Public Health Agency of Canada where the majority of our cases that we've been testing are negative. So a, a countrywide. So that could be just A, we're getting better at differentiating who needs the test and who doesn't. And B, we're, we're also careful about the limited resources we have and we're not just testing everybody uh, aggressively. Dr. Ahmad Khalid has been with us, Human and Social Sciences and Health Policy uh, Policy Advisor, Wilfrid Laurier University. Ahmad, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated, and you take care. Have a great day. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, from uh, grocery store shelves that are bare, playgrounds with warning signs, uh, school closures, workplace school, uh, workplace closures rather, uh, pretty hard not to feel the impact of this pandemic. Brock University's Archives and Special Collections and Digital Scholarship Lab have created a website to gather information and preserve photos, texts, and videos in order to place this in history. To talk more about all of this, David Sharon is with us, head of Archives and Special Collections, Brock University, and with us now. David, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. And thank you, Scott. We appreciate being here. Why? What are you looking for exactly? Oh, uh, we're looking for any type of record that will document the, the event that we're experiencing right now. And we're looking for businesses, organizations, how they've handled it, and the type of records that they're keeping on it, the signs they're posting out to the community. But even more importantly, we're looking for uh, community members, people who are in their homes or apartments um, with uh, feeling all these emotions, taking in all this information, and them telling us what they see, how they feel, and recording that and getting that into the archive. Uh, Usually it's, uh, we always get in history uh, the uh, records of the people who make decisions and the government, as well as those influencers in the world, but we want everyone's uh, input into this project. Uh, so it's an open community call. Um, you, you know, it, what, what has amazed me since this whole exercise started for us is how many different angles there are to this story. Why is this an important angle? Why is this important now? Yes, uh, because we all experience, we all are experiencing this in different ways. Uh, you know, myself, I'm home with my three kids and, uh, that's a unique experiencing, uh, experience wondering how they're going to continue with their schooling and just what are their social, uh, outlets and just making sure they're all safe and good. I'm also working from home. So that's a whole other way of going about it. But my, my wife is a, a nurse on the front line and just hearing the stories about what she comes home with how they're dealing with things um, to get the stories from uh, the medical uh, front 
it would be absolutely amazing or just, uh, you know, we want good stories too. We want people who go out for a walk and see something that's inspiring. We want them to put it up. And why did that inspire you? Put a description down on what you were feeling when you saw, you know, it rained the other day and there was a rainbow. You know, it was, it would have been nice to just, you know, capture these moments, these thoughts, these feelings. And, you know, we know in, in the short and near future that uh, historians are going to be looking at this and how did, the Niagara area, and in this case, react to this pandemic. And th- these are going to be the building blocks of history. And, you, you know, another interesting aspect of this, and in, in as it said in your press release as well, is since this all started, there's been more people looking up the Spanish flu and trying to find information on that because m- many have, have looked back historically to to that event and comparing it to this one. This is another example why we need to do this now. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, when people were starting to do the research on the 100th anniversary of the Spanish flu, uh, people came to our archives looking for things. And, you know, we'd have to dig out every collection from 1918. And that takes time. But uh, to develop an archive like this, um, it will allow us to really control uh, what's coming into the archive as well as having it all in one spot for when people do come in in the future, we can say, here it is. It's on this website, and we preserved everything in it, rather than going to various uh, collections with, within the archives. It, it uh, will save time, and it will be a much more impressive collection for uh, the future researchers. Can you get too much input, too much information? How do you decide what's credible here, what to use, what to keep? Yeah, uh, it is screened. So every time someone uh, inputs something, I do take a look at it before it goes live. And we do have uh, some parameters, uh, but we've had people upload six to eight images. There's a video in there and there's just text, which is very simple to use. So there is ultimately a capacity level to the website, but uh, we have higher IT people and the people in the digital scholarship lab, uh, you know, ready to take that on if it becomes a challenge. But, uh, you know, the more information we can get on this, the better. So we're ready for it. Anything you have learned from what you've seen so far about this event? I think in general, people have a optimistic uh, view on where this is going to go. And, and people do want to share uh, positive messages as well as there, there are some you know, negative things happening out there or, or just sad things. But uh, it, it's, it's a little bit of both. It's almost 50-50 so far from what I've seen in there. But I like when people are actually expressing themselves. If it's an outlet for people just to say, I'm here, I don't want to feel alone, I want to share this thought, this, this uh, memory, then, you know, we can be there for that too. Uh, Brock University calling on the community to contribute to its archive so we can remember COVID-19. How do we do this, David? The best way to do it, the, the website address is kind of long and, and confusing, but if you go to the Brock University News, there's an article in there with the website link to it, or just Google COVID-19 Niagara Archive, and it should come up uh, at the top of one of your searches. So uh, there's a couple ways of going about it, and there's links all over our social media as well. David Sharon is with us, Head of Archives and Special Collections at Brock University, looking for you to help them document this event in history. David, thanks so much for the time. Uh, much really appreciated. Appreciate it. Good luck.
All right. All right. This has affected so many different industries and every walk of life. Everybody is affected by this. Uh, What if you are or were in the process of buying or selling a home? Where does that leave everything? Let's bring in Conrad Zarini, REMAX agent. He is with us now. Conrad, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, thanks for having me, uh, Scott. Really appreciate it. And how does this affect the real estate business? What happens if you're in the middle of something right now? What, What happens? Is everything on hold? Well, well, the good news is that the province of Ontario made us an essential service. And as long as we're facilitating a closing, uh, and there are various people that are within different points of the transaction. Some people are, are going to be homeless because they've sold their homes. Uh, and some people have sold their home and, and, and need to, to move on. Uh, so we're helping everyone and we're trying to facilitate closings as best we can and help throughout the process. So we've been out there uh, and we've even helping the lawyers with delivering keys and things like that as well so we're, we're trying to do our part to um, help people uh, in their shelter related uh, issues that uh, that are present themselves right now what about something like an open house could they even go on uh, i guess some are doing it virtually now actually yeah so our our, our association in ontario mandated that uh we refrain from doing open houses uh us as a company back uh i would say about two weeks ago we suspended all open houses so you're right people are using the technology and um creating these virtual open houses where the agent walks through and 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 discusses every detail and nook and cranny uh, of the property um facebook live uh, fielding inquiries as people go in. Can I take a look at that? So we're we're really using the technology that's been uh, available to us uh, for so long. And finally, now we're putting it all to good use. Do you think this is going to change buying habits after this is all over, Conrad? You know, we all talked about 9-11 and how life would never be the same, and it wasn't. Uh, this actually involves, it affects more people at home as a result of, of, of all of this. Is this going to change buying patterns in any way? And the reason I'm asking this, you know, I, I'm watching Mayor Tory in Toronto uh, talk about all the people that are still in, in the downtown area, but you're also talking about a city that's filled with condos. So people can't stay in the sky forever. They got to come down and and socialize. Uh, could you see trends towards more typical family homes as people want to get away from the density as a result of this? Well, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, I think what we're seeing, we're seeing some trends. It's funny that, and I think you and your producers are, are very intuitive. We, we started to see a trend, especially with condos, um, actually outperforming uh, single detached and homes on the ground uh, since November 2019. And, and there's been a steady climb in terms of how they've been faring uh, as, as a tenure, as a, as a type of house product. As a matter of fact, when you look at the last 90 days, most uh, product, like let's say two-story, one-story uh, townhouse, have probably hovered around that uh, 2 to 3% increase over the last 90 days, whereas condos have increased about uh, 7, 7.4%. So we, we, we kind of lag behind a little bit in terms of that, that type of product uh, versus Toronto. But I think, you know, going back to what you're saying about how the market's going to change in decisions, I think people are going to look at this a little differently, and they're going to really want to know, how is my type of home performing uh, in the market right now? Is, is this an opportunity that uh, we're seeing um, uh, demand level off? Is this a time I should sell that? Um, should I go into some downsizing? If people are thinking... They were going to downsize, you know, in the next two years. They're probably going to accelerate that a little bit more. 
So I think we're going to see decision-making patterns a lot, lot different uh, than we have in the past. Uh, I guess if you have to sell, you sell. If you have to buy, you buy. Uh, life, you, you know, deals as a hand of cards, and we play them whatever, uh, in every way. Uh, many of these decisions, there, there's so many other factors that are involved in, in purchasing a home and such. Do you see, uh, and I'm thinking of millennials as well, looking for a backyard now? Well, again, single-family detached in, in Hamilton has done extremely well. A lot of the GTA buyers uh, that's what they're looking for they're 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 in condos now and they they look at the horizon and they say you know if i were to stay in toronto i'd have to probably uh, change maybe two three condos before i get to something on the ground so they're bypassing all that and uh, hamilton has offered hamilton and burlington uh and and niagara too has offered that opportunity for that uh that detached uh, product at a at a price which is comparable to a condo so they can skip Moving up and building equity, three moves, and, and do the one, uh, the one essential move and, and land into their destination house. Absolutely. There's no question that it's happening. We're also seeing that emotions, people, uh, people's emotions right now, and I'm surprised to see some higher-end products selling. But people are saying, you know what, this is really making me reflect on life, and I mm. really want to have a great environment. Maybe I'm not going to buy a cottage. Maybe we're going to put it in our home and, and create this uh, – phenomenal oasis. So you, you, you're going to see a very interesting dynamic out there in terms of uh, people that were on the fence about certain things saying, you know what, I'm going to do it and, and I'm going to plunge into it and, and, and I'm going to really look at my home as my lifestyle as well. So I think that's what's happened uh, to people in terms of their, their, their psyches uh, currently. Uh, last question, Conrad. What advice do you have for those that are sitting in limbo right now, not knowing what to do? I, well, I would come consulting with your realtor and asking your realtor to, to talk about, uh, look, I, there's, big, there's big numbers and I think there's big factors people have to understand. Months of supply, absorption rate, how is my, my, my home performing? Uh, we've got some phenomenal tools. Uh, realtors have phenomenal tools, uh, home price indexes and things like that. Ask your realtor, get, uh, get a snapshot of what's happening uh, in the last month, uh, 90 days, go back, uh, go back six months and... Uh, and really look at the numbers and analyze them because this is a big investment. I think we start to really look at this from, from an investment standpoint. Not that I'm all, not about enjoyment as well and, and equity and enjoyment, but also let's look at this from an investment standpoint and when the best time to enter the market is. And maybe your product right now, maybe your home right now is, is probably uh, priced uh, accordingly and there's, there's sufficient demand and maybe this is the time to put on the market. So um, really talk to your realtor and, and get a real good snapshot of what's going on in the market. Remax agent Conrad Zarini has been with us uh, with some uh, examples of how this has affected the housing market. Conrad, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Bye-bye. With COVID-19 causing businesses to either shut the doors or adapt, the fitness industry has found they can stay in operation by moving online. To talk more about this, Lyle Starr is with us from Greco Fitness and is on the line now. Lyle, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hi. Hi, Scott. Thanks very much for having me. So obviously with the regulations, uh, gyms and such, I guess, have been closed. So what have, you, what have you done to stay in shape and keep your clients in shape? Well, I think the first thing that we've done is, is we've, we've realized that, that what is happening out there is definitely global and it impacts everyone. So we have firstly passed our support to all of our, our members um, and the Hamilton community. 
from a business perspective and from a fitness industry perspective, we have had to pivot and pivot quickly to go online um, and to provide all of our members with an online platform that still gives them an all-around great body workout while driving consistent results and especially now helping to boost the immune system to being very, very, very strong. So driving, pivoting, working hard, providing online uh, training platforms, dedicated focus results, and it's actually been a very interesting and enjoyable experience for us. And how important is it, Lyle, that we keep this up, especially during this tough time of anxiety? So it's critically, critically important. One, for your body in terms of keeping your body strong, keeping your system very, very strong, keeping healthy and, 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 and keeping fit. And two, I we also think for your mental sanity, it's so important that, that one remains active, that one stays fit, that one gets uh, trained just purely so that you can relieve some of this pressure. It's very tough being cooped up in your home all the time. You want to be able to do something that, has, that actually takes your mind completely off it. Um, and thankfully, we've had some great reviews from our members that are actually um, giving us feedback such as that. Uh, that was my next question. How has the response been? How are members uh, responding to this? Is there back and forth communication? Yes. So we have communication with, with our members through all of our uh, channels. Um, I think the, the, the best form of communication is when we actually see our members do, do the uh, training. So we have our members that are sending us videos and posting on the social media pages, and we can see them train. The best part about it, though, though, Scott, it's not only our members that are training. They are training with their families. They are training with their spouses and with their kids. Our programming actually caters for the family, and you can use basic household items. And as a family, they are really enjoying it. So we remain communicated. Uh, we remain and uh, active with our communications with them, and we love seeing the actual feedback coming out of it. Uh, obviously, if you go to a gym or a fitness facility, there's lots of equipment there. Some of us are lucky enough to have that at home. I, I enjoy working out at, at home and such. But for those that may not have that, how difficult is it to stay in shape when you're not at the gym? I will, I will stand by what I say right now. The best equipment you could ever use is your body and your body weight, firstly. So there are so many different exercises and techniques that you can use by just using your body weight. Other than that, any household item is there and available to use. You can use anything from a chair, anything from shampoo, uh, containers and bottles, because if your technique is right and you're just holding a little shampoo bottle, you will feel it, guaranteed. Um, we have Lysol, uh, Lysol cans as well that are currently being used. Um, and, and throughout our, our online videos, we actually show members different variations to say, if you have weights at home, this is what you can do. If you don't have weights at home, why don't you take a towel and wrap it around a bag and fill the bag? And you can use that as your actual weight. So there's different ways of, of actually doing it. And your normal basic household items can still give you amazing results. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, in times like this, you just cocoon and start eating. But are you finding there are a lot of people going out? Because even in our neighborhood, which is pretty much a ghost town, you still see people uh, social safe distancing, of course, but out walking a lot more and walking their dogs. I mean, maybe some people are even doing more at this time. Yeah, so so we we are seeing some um, some actually going out for jogs or cycling with their uh, families, respecting social distancing too. 
Um, our, our recommendation would always be abide by the rules. Um, please be absolutely uh, safe. Rather stay indoors and we can guide you to provide you with, with, with activities that, that will still give you that type of, uh, of uh, stimulus. Um, but it is a reality out there. And I think it's just because it's so tough to be cooped up in your house for seven days in a row. You need a bit of, you need a bit of, bit of fresh air. I'd rather recommend go outside in the back of your uh, property where it's just you and you can go out there, get some fresh air, and we can actually guide you in terms of some of the exercises that, that will still give you perfect, perfect results. Lyle Starr has been with us from Greco Fitness, just another industry adopting the way it does business to stay in business and keep you fit. Lyle, thanks for the time. Good luck. Stay safe. Thank you very much for having us. Have a great day. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, we've been talking about how various businesses have adapted uh, to COVID-19 and the reality that we're all li- uh, living right now. Barter Pay is a local firm that has created an e-commerce platform that aggregates a barter economy. Uh, what does that do to help business, specifically small business? Let's bring in Norm Schleland, uh, Schleland, Director, Economic Development, City of Hamilton. Norm, congratulations on the new position. Great to have you here. Thanks, Scott. Uh, pleasure to be here this afternoon. So tell us about barter pay and in, in some of the ways in which you're hearing from business in Hamilton, how it's adapting during these difficult times. So uh, barter pay has uh, been a company down in Stony Creek. It's been there for quite a while. It's, uh, and as you're probably aware, bartering is the oldest form of commerce. Uh, mm. uh, for those of, I'm sure everybody knows that bartering is when you pay for things that using money. Uh, and utilize a uh, company's goods or services or their uh, idle capacity. So, uh, so Barter Pay has developed an online platform where companies can actually offer up their goods and services. Uh, like I said, it can be idle product, inventory, uh, services. They assign a value to the goods and service, and then you 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 uh, stop to bank up a cre- uh, you establish some credit with them, and then the business then can utilize that credit that's built up to barter with other companies that are on the Barter Pay website. So uh, it, it's a way of basically trading your goods and services uh, um, between companies uh, and, and it, it's an equal share because in a barter situation, each side has to want what the other party has at the same time for the same value. So they've got this unique pro- product offering. It's been out there for a while, but I think given the current situation that we are in, in our economy right now with things that are going on, um, it, it's, uh, it, it's an interesting uh, way to, to, to do, do business right now. Uh, we've been talking over this hour about how businesses have changed and, and how they've adapted, and, and many said, uh, many have said that life will be different once we come out the other end of this, very similar to 9-11, except even more so because this has affected more people. Uh, does this sort of uh, platform, this sort of idea, lend, it, lend itself well to what we're experiencing right now? Is there, is there more advantages during these times? I think there's advantages during these times as well as uh, as we come out of this as well, because uh, right now, I mean, uh, there's an example uh, that I was on the Barter Pay website and taking a look at, you know, restaurants can utilize gift cards, uh, merchants can utilize idle inventory to establish credits, and if there's some services or goods that they require at this point in time that they don't uh, uh, really have the capacity or the cash flow to do so, that uh, that uh, that could really, really be helpful. Uh, and, and as well, the uh, coming out of this uh, cash flow will still be, uh, I'm sure, an issue for, for many, many small businesses. And uh, this could be another way of looking at uh, how we do business. How does this change day-to-day life in, in economic development? Um, has this put everything on pause? How, how, do you, how do you cope with living through a COVID-19 in this particular department? So, so Scott, uh, you're, you're probably aware our, our 
our division covers uh, quite the gambit from uh, uh, small business all the way through to, to large business and, and, and new business attractions. So if we start with the small business, obviously the small businesses are being hugely impacted right now. Uh, and, and that's why we're trying to focus some of our, our efforts on, on, on trying to help them with their, especially the on-street retailers uh, uh, and merchants right now. Um, if you go to the opposite end of the spectrum and, and you talk about the, uh, the companies that are looking to develop and invest in the city, we really haven't seen that slow down at this point in time. We're still seeing site plans go through. We're still seeing building permits being issued. And uh, that hasn't stopped uh, to this point. And uh, we're, we're hopeful that it will still continue. But the companies that we have spoke to that do have investment interest. Uh, and I'm talking about this is more on the industrial and large-scale commercial side. Uh, those companies have, seem to be moving ahead with their projects. So, um, and if you want to take a look what's in between in terms of, some of the larger businesses in, in the community, we see some of their supply chains definitely being impacted uh, where some of their parts that they potentially were importing may, may not uh, be making it here right now uh, because of some of the restrictions. Uh, but uh, at the same time, we see some sectors of our economy that are just going gangbusters. Our, our, our airport uh, and the cargo facility up at the airport are just going, going gangbusters right now. Uh, the uh, uh, trucking trucking companies, uh, their their traffic is up, and uh, I, I was on a, a, a webcast yesterday listening to Ron Foxcroft and Kathy Puckering, and uh, Ron said uh, the uh, at, at uh, Fluke uh, he's running at 125 percent right now. I believe he said so. Mm. So we're seeing you know it's impacting different areas of the economy. Uh, certainly, uh, it's it, it, it's an, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, there, there's no question. So. Uh, we've certainly been talking about how this affects, uh, and you mentioned retailers, and, and a lot of businesses have had to shutter as a result of this. A lot of businesses have altered their template and how they're doing things uh, in order to make it happen. Uh, we will lose some here, but there is often opportunity in times like this, isn't there? Uh, there, there certainly is. There, there, there will be opportunity at when, when this is all said and done. Uh, what that looks like, I don't know yet, Scott. I think it's really too early to tell. Uh, what the overall impact of this is going to be. Um, it, it certainly, uh, we certainly are, are looking and adjusting our plans in terms of uh, um, one of my first, uh, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but I was on the job for one week uh, in my new capacity when, when the COVID situation hit. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my first uh, roles or, or duties, pardon me, uh, in the director position was to establish an economic development action plan for the city uh, by the end of the year. Uh, coming into the job uh, at the beginning of March, that plan was looking one way. Right now, it's looking totally different in terms of what that plan is going to be like moving forward. Uh, it, it certainly will be uh, uh, fo- the focus. Uh, if you take a look at what our existing plan was, there's a lot of foreign direct investment that took place uh, uh, in, in that plan. I'm not sure if that's going to be the highest priority on our list currently. Uh, I, I think it's going to be more of a let's uh, a recovery plan at home. So. Those are the things that we're going to be working out over the next little while as we put a, an immediate recovery plan in place, some of these short-term measures that we've been talking about. Uh, and we're also establishing a longer-term uh, plan, which we'll, we'll, we'll be folding out over the, the next few months. As you mentioned, you deal with a wide variety of different businesses and sizes and such. But that being said, with it seeming to seemingly uh, uh, hurting small business more at this point, any advice for them? What, what advice can you give to people during these times? So there are, uh, we don't have the answers for, for, for everything, obviously. We, we, we do have uh, uh, our Hamilton Business Centre that operates out of City Hall. Uh, if, small, if businesses do have uh, questions with respect to small business, I'd encourage them to give 
our small business enterprise center a call. Uh, pardon me, our Hamilton business center. We changed the name earlier this year. Uh, their, their phone number is 905-540-6400 or mail at hamiltonbusinesscenter.ca. Um, th- you, th- you will get a person uh, to talk to, uh, to, to talk about your concerns, what training mentorship programs might be available currently. Uh, there are some programs that are offered through our Hamilton Business Center uh, that, that might, be, might be helpful, but, it, uh, but, but really uh, in terms of getting some guidance of, of where you might want to find some resources related to covid um, you, you can go through the Hamilton Business Center or uh, there's the, uh, we, we collaborated. One of the first things that we did was uh, reach out uh, to the Chamber of Commerce and we collectively collaborated with the Stony Creek, Flamborough and uh, Hamilton Chamber of Commerce and the development of uh, the COVID site off of the Hamilton Chamber site, which has been populated with information to help businesses across the community. So uh, I, I will just, I'm just going to grab the, uh, that site information for you because I think it's important that uh, uh, if you just go to the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce site, there's a there's a tab at the at the top that you click on on the right hand side, and that will take you to everything you need to know about every business program related to COVID. So, I, I'd, I'd encourage if you have questions relate, strictly related to COVID uh, and, and and what programs are out there from the federal federal government, the province, and whatnot. And these programs, stuff, they're coming in every day. They're changing every day. So uh, that has been our one stop source for information on everything to do with uh, business COVID related information. Norm Schlein has been with us, Director Economic Development for the City of Hamilton, talking about local businesses and how they have adapted uh, as a result of COVID-19. Norm, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thank you. Uh, All the best to you and your family. Take care. You too. A joint polling done by Ledger and the Association of Canadian Studies suggests that people are happy with how governments are generally handling the, handling the COVID-19 uh, pandemic that we're experiencing. However, would like to see some punishment for those that break the isolation rules. Let's bring in Christian Bork, Executive Vice President, Ledger 360, and with us now. Christian, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, are you surprised by the numbers of people who are buying in, who are participating? Well, I, I actually, uh, when we did the survey, we found that close to 95% of Canadians are doing the right thing. They are self-isolating. They're washing their hands more. They're basically listening to what governments are saying should be how we behave collectively right now. So uh, Canadians are quite disciplined. And in this survey, we also compare that to how Americans are behaving Canadians are more disciplined uh, than our American uh, neighbors. And then we, we asked, you know, should we go even one step further? Should police officers be able to issue fines to Canadians who are not basically uh, uh, behaving or respecting the, the, the measures that are put in place? And 92% of Canadians are saying yes. Uh, when we said, should even the police be able to arrest citizens who do not respect the, the self-isolation uh, uh, measures put in place, 82% of Canadians said yes. I mean, even 77% of Canadians said um, if uh, there, there was an order for a quarantine of a city, of my city, I would be favorable to it. So, I mean, there's a funny thing going on that's basically, and then compared to the U.S., there's still a big difference there as well. Uh, right now, we trust our governments and we trust that they're doing the right thing, both federally, provincially, uh, and even at the municipal level. Uh, Canadians are listening to what they're being told is the best behavior to adopt uh, to protect themselves and others right now. And they're saying, and if we need to actually you know, put the boot uh, to people who are not doing it right, they're okay if, if 
policemen and women in Canada um, find or even arrest people. Are you surprised at that, considering our Canadian sympathetic values most of the time? Yeah, I think traditionally Canadians have always been sort of fairly trustworthy of, of how other behave around them. Um, I'm thinking probably that they that they are going to that extreme um, uh, because they 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 feel it's so important that we do it right now that they believe that actually self isolation is the only way to get over this. Uh, and they believe it to the extent where they, they right now feel that some form of punishment could come down on those who uh, basically uh, don't think the same. Uh, there's always a, a danger in there in, in that um, you would not want some Canadians to actually sort of take the law into their own hands and uh, and, and basically um, decide to, to punish others themselves. That's the last thing we would want as a society and it's not being it's not a Canadian tradition either so so we we kind of feel comfortable but it is amazing to see how people in Canada are basically uh again practicing social distancing keeping a safe distance washing their hands um only limiting their their sort of uh, going outside for basic necessities all of the things that they are saying we should be doing we are doing and at this point, especially when it comes to things like snitch lines or, as you pointed out, information stating that more people want to see people punished who are disobeying these laws, others are watching you, even if you don't think they are. Your neighbors are keeping an eye on you, aren't they? Yeah, it's funny because a majority of Canadians, even close to two-thirds of Canadians, said, I have observed people around me who have not been sort of, you know, going by the rules. So it is behavior that they are seeing out there uh, right now in Canada and, and probably is a source of worry. Yeah. What's interesting when we look at our results and when we compare those to the United States, uh, in Canada, more people are worried about the health of others compared to their own you know, self-risk or the risk to themselves. In the U.S., it's the opposite. There's more people who actually... Uh, are saying that they, they care more about the risk to them than the risk to others. So it's mm. sort of our old sort of, uh, sort of Tory, red Tory sort of way of looking at things, of protecting the community, which I think right now is making a difference. And, and from that perspective, uh, Canada, by all accounts, is, is ahead of the United States by two to three weeks, to maybe even more, uh, because we were quite quick of, of jumping on this, you know, we are protecting others. Uh, obviously, uh, you and your company uh, pull on a variety of different things over the course of the year and past years and such. You obviously have a very, uh, you know, a finger on the pulse of what Canadians are doing and, and feeling. Uh, is there anything that jumps out at you here that, wow, I didn't expect that? Well, did not expect, um, one, that uh, coming into this, we had a fairly unpopular minority government in Ottawa. And within mm. three to four weeks, 70% of Canadians are saying Trudeau is doing a good job. I mean, that, that sort of re- reversal um, of, of opinion, you rarely see it. And it's the same um, even in Ontario, fairly unpopular provincial government. Uh, if you're looking at this, you know, the personal satisfaction numbers over the past 12 months, and then all of a sudden, Ontario uh, uh, residents are saying, well, he's doing a good job. And the same applies for Quebec and the other provinces as well. 
Um, so it's it's this thing that you know in times of crises and uncertainty, um, we and then of course in the U.S. it's not the, not the same for for historical reasons, but we are turning to our institutions and 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 looking at them saying. You know, it, it's your turn to do the right thing. And and, for, and so far, so good. We believe that they are doing the right thing. Christian Bork has been with us, Executive Vice President, Ledger 360. Joint polling done by uh, Ledger 360 and the Association of Canadian Studies suggests that people are happy with how uh, leadership governments are handling the COVID-19 crisis. However, would like to see some punishment for those that are breaking the rules. Uh, Christian, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Stay safe. All right. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation is calling on governments across Canada to postpone any planned tax hikes, which seems to make sense considering all the aid that they're giving out. Why would you not? Why would you have a a tax increase at this time? Uh, That in the form of the carbon tax and also a raise for politicians. To talk more about all of this from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Aaron Woodrook is with us. Aaron, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. Hope you're keeping safe. I am, and I hope you're doing well as well. I mean, how do we all cope through all of this? You do as best you can, I guess. Absolutely. Just stay at home as much as possible. So your thoughts, there hasn't been a lot of mention on the carbon tax. We've heard little dribs and drabs coming out of the media, but it's something that the that uh, government has, uh, con- not really focusing on at this point, concentrating more on uh, on on the, the pandemic at hand. Here's a quick clip from the pre- uh, Prime Minister, what he had to say uh, in regard to cancelling the carbon tax. The price on pollution uh, has been designed as to put more money in households' pockets, more money in the pockets of the middle class while we do the things that are necessary to fight pollution and protect our planet. Uh, That is something we are going to continue to do. Aaron, your thoughts on that? He's making this sound like it's a benefit. We're going to make money out of this. Yeah, look, we're, we're in an unprecedented situation. It's, a, it's an economic emergency that's a consequence of fighting the health emergency. And everything governments are doing right now, Scott, is about getting money to people as quickly as possible. That's why they're having direct transfers, wage subsidies. That's why they're deferring tax payments all across the country. And so this, it's a little odd that they want to continue with an increase in one tax at this time. Uh, it's no secret, you know, groups like ours don't want this tax at all, but we think we can fight about that down the road. What we would like to see today is at least don't raise it. Just pause it, come back and revisit it, fight about it again in six months. But to raise taxes at a time when everything else you're doing is about reducing costs and, and giving people money, uh, it's just it's, you're pushing and pulling at the same time. Uh, is the government relying on people being distracted from the COVID-19 issue and the fact that gas prices are so low? Because this is a great time if you want to raise gas taxes is to do it now. Yeah, I think so. But I, I think they also need to recognize that this is going to be noticed. I mean, there are places, parts of the country, especially like Alberta and Saskatchewan, that are especially hit hard. I mean, with oil prices at four bucks a barrel, Alberta is particularly hurting. And so to do this now, in spite of the fact they're freezing or reducing or deferring pretty much every other tax, it's a bit of a poke in the eye at a time that they, they really shouldn't be doing. Um, there, you often hear there's uh, a little bit of, of noise from climate activists uh, saying that, you know, considering how much we've shut down industry and, and shut down travel, uh, this is a good time to, to take the whole climate change forward. Are those discussions we should be having at this time? I really think that's tone deaf right now. Look, uh, and I work for a group and we have an agenda ourselves, but this is not the time to be talking about those things. 
We can have discussions. We'll go back to the regular debates after this is over. But I think anyone that's trying to exploit the situation to advance something that they that they really like, um, it's it's just I think it's in really poor taste. And what about the annual raises that come around? Uh, I think I've read somewhere that Andrew Shear said he was going to donate his raise. Uh, but again, why even do this at this time? It seems odd to be giving us aid yet raising taxes or taking money from us. Yeah, you're right. So every April 1st, uh, members of Parliament get an automatic raise. This is legislation that's been in place for some time. So to be fair to them, it's not as if they planned this last week. But I think everyone can agree that when millions of Canadians are suddenly being thrown out of work, it's pretty poor taste to have politicians get a raise. So because they're not sitting, they don't have time to actually change the legislation and refuse it. We're asking MPs from across the country to just donate it to a charity or nonprofit that could use the money right now, since, uh, since people are really stretched and other groups could really use that money. Why do you think, Aaron, Canadians aren't speaking up on this? Why don't you think there's more pushback to whether it's the raises or the carbon tax? Well, look, I think obviously uh, people, we've got bigger problems right now. And, uh, it, it, you know, look, I think things are a bit different now. Everyone wants to work together. You're seeing less partisanship, which is which is healthy and refreshing in a lot of ways. But that doesn't mean no accountability. I think you saw that with uh, the Trudeau government when they, they passed that, that emergency bill. There were some powers in there that really weren't necessary, and there was a lot of blowback. And I'm glad that got fixed. So, look, I think um, I think people want this to be over. We want to do what it takes to get it over. Um, but, uh, you know, in the meantime, some of the stuff that's normally very contentious just doesn't seem nearly as important. Do you anticipate the prime minister changing his stance on any of this when it was asked at the press conference or when it has been asked at his pre- daily press conferences? Uh, he basically has given the answer that we played uh, a little while ago about a 15 second clip and that's it. Are you surprised more Canadians aren't inquiring about this or are they OK with it? I, I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say that certainly in Alberta and Saskatchewan they're not okay with it based on what comes into my email box. But look, I, maybe the Prime Minister hasn't thought much about it. I realize he's got a lot on his plate right now, and I think people need to cut him and Premier Ford and every politician as much slack as they can. Uh, but maybe he hasn't thought about it, but he's still got time. I don't think he recognizes the way this comes across. Uh, think of farmers. Farmers are heavily impacted. But they're keeping us fed right now, Scott. And the idea that they're being rewarded with a tax hike when every other tax is being deferred or frozen I just think it's a bad message, and I really hope uh, that Mr. Trudeau rethinks it. As you said, uh, all political parties, all levels of government seem to be cooperating and rowing in the same direction, which is great to see. I mean, I don't think most Canadians are are used to seeing that sort of thing. Uh, And that's great. I mean, we're not using this for political hay and such. That being said, is this something that uh, opposition should speak up on? Uh, Opposition spoke up when they thought that the delay with the 14-day quarantine didn't come soon enough. Uh, They spoke up when uh, uh, legislation passed through the House of Commons and it looked like it was going to give uh, the Liberal minority government sweeping powers for the next couple of years. Is this something that opposition should, should make hay about? I think so. I think there's still, there's still room for constructive criticism and pushback. I don't think it can be petty and partisan. But look, uh, I, I think everybody uh, wants us to get through this. But if you're bringing criticism and suggestions in good faith, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And that's what I'm arguing here with the carbon tax, this you know, the government is trying to help people as much as they can. This is a simple, easy thing to do that would leave a bit more money in people's pockets, and government should do it. How long do we postpone this tax for? I think it depends how long the crisis goes. I think it has to go in sort of conjunction with the other tax deferrals. If you look at filing income taxes, that's been pushed back a month, and then paying any tax you owe has been pushed back to September. 
Uh, if we're still in this in a few months, they may need to push those dates back. And I think the same would apply to any other deferral, uh, including carbon tax. All right, Aaron Woodrick has been with us, Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and they are asking uh, government to uh, hold back on any tax increases, i.e. the carbon tax, which starts April 1st, and any pay raises uh, in politics moving forward. Uh, Aaron, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks a lot, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.